Let's pray. Eh? Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that um, it's not just your word in our life, but it's your spirit that brings it to life. Lord, I'm just praying this morning that, Father, your word would just speak to us. Lord, that your spirit would speak to us. Father God, just as Matt's prayed there, Lord, help us to be open to hear from your spirit this morning, Lord, that we might not miss what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I previously mentioned, we're just moving on with our um, series on the redemption of womankind. Now, it may be that you're like, yeah, this is awesome. It may be that, I'm not so sure about this. It may be, no, we don't want women to be leaders. We don't think it's godly. We don't think it's scriptural. All those opinions and reasonings and understandings will be floating around this morning because I started off the series saying, this church believes that women can and should be in leadership. We support that. Now, in order to go to the verses that some people are like probably itching to look at in Timothy, in Corinthians, in Titus, I just really want to set it up. So you're going to have to be a little bit patient. If that's you this morning and you're like, you know, we want to get into this, we want that to be our battleground, just going to ask you to be a little bit patient because it's going to take a few more weeks to get there. Next week, we're going to have Naomi come up and she's going to be talking about the gifts and the calling of God. That God has called and gifted everybody according to the Spirit of God who the Spirit chooses. So she's going to be talking about that. Then we're having a guest speaker. Then the week after that, I'll be starting to really look at the, the scriptures that some would say are difficult scriptures. The reason that I want to do that is because if we have the wrong perspective when we look at anything, it can be skewed. Either way, either way it can be wrong. If we come in with just a mindset that, no, this is it, I'm not going to believe anything outside of that, we, we tend to block off and lock out other scriptures that we might read and not really fully grasp it. Because at first glance, there's a few verses in the Bible that if we look at them, we're like, man, that's restrictive of women. They can't do stuff. That's why I wanted to go back to the beginning in Genesis to look at what God's original plan was, that he made woman and man in his own image, that Adam was created, Eve was created from man, but the Bible says in Genesis that they were both created in God's image, that they were both given the... the um, the task on earth to go out, subdue the earth and multiply, both of them together, not one or the other. There's a small little word in there where Adam um, and Eve were together and it talked about how God made Eve because man needed a help me. And what tends to happen is that we take those sorts of things and go, oh yeah, um, Adam needed someone to help him, a helper. Um, so God created basically someone who was to make him successful in what he was doing. I looked at how that word, help, is actually the same word that's used for God throughout the Old Testament that talks about God as our helper. So it wasn't a subservient term. There's another term there, that, that meat for him. That word is actually the word neged, which means parallel and equal to. So he made woman parallel and equal to Adam as his helper to work together in the mission that God had for them. 
And what he said was this, is that now Adam exclaimed, truly this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And God said, this is why a husband, a man will leave his, his um, mother and father and join to his wife and the two shall become one. They're one together. And what can happen sometimes is that people then go, well, if, if that's the case, we're going to get everything out of order, you know, because God's got this authority order and, and submission and, and things like that as men, and we want to see wives must submit to their husbands, but we forget that there's other parts of that verse that it says, first of all, submit to one another. That is the first command in that. And I really want to break down those scriptures in Ephesians, but also the other ones about as I said in Timothy, that a woman cannot teach a man. I do not allow, Paul said, a woman to teach a man or take authority over him. What does that mean in the context of the rest of the Bible? Then I looked at um, the way that women were viewed in the world that Jesus came into. And we might think, you know, it doesn't matter. It's not about culture. It's not about this. Guaranteed, you are influenced by culture. Guaranteed. Your opinion whatever it might be, whether, whatever it is in this world is influenced by culture. The culture of the time was very severe. As I said, the Greeks basically hated women. The Romans weren't far behind. And even in the Jewish tradition, the word had been so distorted by the teachers putting in their little things that they also saw women as lesser than. So the common prayer was, I thank you, God, that I was not born a, a slave a woman or a Gentile. And that would be a prayer that men would say in the morning, which is why Paul most likely wrote that there is no longer slave or free, there is no longer male or female, there's no longer Jew or Gentile. He would have been taught that prayer. But he is saying that Jesus has come to break down so many barriers. And, and the thing is that often we will think it has to be done straight away, Right? And I gave the example of slavery. Who here thinks today slavery is just fine? Probably no one. But in those days, it was quite common. Everyone had slaves. It was, it was a normal thing to do. Jesus never said anything about it. Paul never addressed it and, and said, you know, you shouldn't have slaves. They were working within a culture. But they were trying to bring change and bring it about. And what I want to do over the next... Two, two preachings that I do is just really look at how Jesus viewed women and in the culture of the time as I said the Romans and the Greeks I mean we heard last week the things that were said it was just disgraceful and what the Jewish people said about women the Jewish leaders the teachers of the law the Pharisees what they said, the ones who led the spiritual worship of the time. It was truly disgusting, to be honest. Um, a woman was a curse from God, basically. Um, if you died and you'd been a bad person, you might come back as a woman, as punishment. They were viewed so low. And we don't really understand that because we live in this society that's a little bit freer, isn't it? Like if, if you wanted to, in the world around us, say, oh, you know, something about women shouldn't be this or that and the other, you'll be slammed. But back then it was different. 
And if we don't understand that culture has such an amazing, overwhelming effect, sometimes we let it distort us. We don't understand what culture have I been brought up into. What, what things of my culture have actually influenced the way I think? And has the gospel come to change the way I think? I believe it has. Definitely has. So when Paul writes something like, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and he's writing it to the church in Rome, we're thinking today, oh, the culture of our world, but he's saying don't follow the customs of the world that you are living in, the Roman world, which puts women down, that makes sure that men are exalted above them and they have absolute authority in their household. That is the world that Paul is talking about when he's writing the letter. And for us to just dismiss culture as though it's nothing, that that it doesn't explain anything, is a foolish thing to do. Because when Paul wrote it, he's writing to a specific church at a specific time for a specific reason and often to answer questions that they have had. And we don't see the other side of that letter. What have they written to Paul? What have they said, hey, we're having trouble in church because these things are happening. What should we do about it? And he writes back with wisdom. And if you read through those letters, there's so many times he says, I'm saying this, I'm saying this, I'm saying that, God's saying this, I'm saying this, God's saying this. There's not as if it was all just God downloading stuff to him. There's also his wisdom in the situation. Paul took into account um, the custom of, of the time greatly. And even when he was preaching the gospel, he said, to the Jews, I'm a Jew, to the Gentiles, I'm a Gentile. Whatever it takes for me to, to be able to preach the word of God, that's what I'm going to do. It didn't mean that he... he um, compromised his faith or his belief in Jesus Christ but he said there are things that I have to do in order to let the gospel be preached and we know that Paul was against circumcision yet he had someone with him circumcised because that was the only way that the gospel could be preached in a place And so he went against what God truly was saying because he knew that there was a barrier that was there that would stop the gospel being preached. And Jesus came into this world where it was man-dominated, where women were put into a place where their worship wasn't counted as serious or real, that they were, they were sent to an outer court, they weren't allowed to come in, that they weren't allowed to know the Bible or the Torah back then. And be taught it, it was disgraceful for them to read it out aloud in assembly. They were not valued on the whole. They were not treasured on the whole. You can even see that. Um, we're going to get to some scriptures in a minute. But, but when Jesus was talking about marriage, some Pharisees came up to him and, and were trying to trick him. And they said, well, you know, what about divorce? You know, Moses allowed and permitted us to divorce. It says that a man, if he wants to divorce his wife, can write a note of divorce and basically get rid of her. And that was commonplace. So it would be for the tiniest little things, if they burnt the porridge or whatever, it could be like, oh, I'm divorcing you. And they'd write it out, see you later. Come back, I, want, I need another wife now. Let me get another one. And Jesus said something that was actually quite controversial back then, but we don't understand it. 
He said, if a man divorces his wife, or if a woman divorces a man, and that, that spun him out. It's like, a woman divorcing a man? That, that doesn't sound right. And divorce isn't something that God wanted. But the point is, it was always from the point of view, if a man writes it, he can get rid of his wife. It was never the other way around. And this starts to sort of get into why they hated him so much. Not just this issue, but many issues. And we're going to look at a a couple of things that Jesus did with women that we don't think are that controversial. Seriously, we don't. Because we don't live in this society anymore. Go and do some study on what it was like. If If you're not convinced, go and do some study about the world that Jesus came into. You can even see it on TV programs. If you ever see a program about the Roman era, how are the women treated and viewed? They're basically in brothels. They're basically downtrodden, except for maybe the manipulative, sneaky one that gets in there and, you know, is the, the power, power player in, in the way. Have a think about it. It's disgusting. It's horrible. And this is the world that Jesus came into. It wasn't like today. It was different. The culture was very different. It was it was so different. And yet still there is that remnant because we come from that Greco-Roman culture that's been passed down to us. That is how our society is based on that culture. So we cannot say that those things haven't snuck through. And I gave the example last week of the old Westerns where the woman used to be basically pandering to the man and falling down at his feet and wanting to be pretty and loved. And if she did the wrong thing, he'd put her over his knee and spank her as though that was just normal. Like, who spanks their wife here? Anyone? Hope not. We would think that's weird, right? Yet we see in movies even only that long ago that there was this opinion that a woman was just meant for work and and things have changed. Like when World War II came, women were basically homekeepers. They they started going into the workplace, which is not wrong. If you look at the Proverbs 31 woman, she spun yarn, she ran business, she bought land, she sold land, she, she looked after the whole household and ran it. But they were meant to be homemakers. Have you seen the ads? Have you seen the ads where it's like, your wife could have this beautiful washing machine? And it's like, oh, fantastic. My wife loves washing machines, so I guess that's still something in there. But, you know, like, let's buy my wife a vacuum cleaner for her birthday. She'll be so happy, you know. (laughs) But it was real. And that's the way it was. Do you think culture doesn't affect the way you think? And World War II came and women started to work because the men were overseas fighting. The men came back and they were like ripped out of work and placed back into their home life. Now, we might have opinions whether it's right or wrong, but they felt that work was giving them value and and a sense of purpose and they actually really liked being productive and and so things begin to change after World War II and, and women begin to go into the workplace. Does everyone know that's not that long ago? When we're talking about gender pay gaps and all that sort of stuff, which is 
other issues. That's not long ago, is it? Not really. It's not long ago. So society has changed a lot since then. And Jesus came into a society that really debased women. And I think that we are more influenced by society than we would care to think. So let's have a look at some of the scriptures about Jesus treating women well. And even about how ladies could actually get revelation from God as well. I just want to throw these in here because... What Jesus did with women was very unusual. I'd just like to go to Luke, uh, sorry, Mark chapter 15, verse 39 to 41, first of all. And all I want to point out with these scriptures here is that there was a lot of women following Jesus. And it was really unusual in those days that, that women would be actually allowed to follow a teacher. Jesus was called a rabbi, a teacher. So here we are, when the Roman officer who stood facing him, this is Jesus on the cross, saw how he had died, he explained, this man truly was the son of God. Some women were there watching from a distance, including Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph, excuse me, and Salome. They had been followers of Jesus and had cared for him while he was in Galilee. Many other women who had come with him to Jerusalem were also there. What I want to point out here is that Jesus had a following of women. In fact, the gospel talks about this group of wealthy women that used to support Jesus in his ministry, financially support his ministry. And this was something that was really unusual for anyone to have women in the ministry. And I want to look at a story about that. Now, I'm not sure what order I put the slides in up there. But let's go to Luke 10, 38 to 42. That's it. Beautiful. So this is a story about when Jesus came to Mary and Martha's house. Um, Martha had a brother named Lazarus who had died. Jesus came and raised him to life. This is the story. Okay, and as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. This is before the death. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you're worried and upset about all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. Now, to us, that looks very benign, doesn't it? All you got is a situation of a house, um, a family having dinner. And there's something in there that you will be surprised how significant it is. Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. At the time, this was something that was considered to be outrageous that anyone who was a woman would be sitting at the feet of a teacher because the way that they did it was they'd have their rabbis, their, their teachers, and they would go and follow that rabbi and basically they'd sit at their feet and learn from them. But a woman was not allowed to do that, yet in this story here we see Jesus opening up a way for women to come and learn. 
sitting at the feet of Jesus. It's funny how these little benign things we don't fully understand unless we have culture. What was the culture of the time? The culture of the time was that a woman should not learn and a woman should not be taught. Yet we see here Jesus inviting a woman in. We see the example of that too with the Samaritan woman at the well where, where he came and he was talking to her. And as I said, the disciples came back and, and they were like, why is Jesus talking to a woman? Like, that's crazy. Yet Jesus had a, philo- a great sorry, religious discussion with her about worship and what true worship was. And she became an amazing evangelist into her village. I just want to look at something that Martha said. If we could look at that. In John 11, 25 to 27. Because what I want to look at here is that, you know, sometimes it's, th- this is the thing, that women can't get the revelation from God that comes through men. And I want you to have a look at this. Does anyone remember Peter's revelation about Jesus? When he said, who do men say that I am? Peter said, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God. And he said, no man told you this and you destroy it. Let's have a look at these words. This is uh, Jesus talking to Martha after he'd raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I've always believed that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Does that sound a little familiar? Does that sound a little bit like the revelation that Peter got where Jesus said you got that from the Spirit? It's almost exactly the same. Almost exactly the same, yet it was before Peter even had that revelation. The thing is that the Spirit of God is not limited to a man or a woman. And Jesus, when he's talking to the Samaritan woman, was talking about that. He said, those who worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth that the Holy Spirit is involved and he is the one who reveals things. And obviously here, the Spirit of God has revealed something to Martha that was revealed to Peter later on by the Spirit of God. There is no favoritism with God. No favoritism. He doesn't respect people like we do. He doesn't say, you can have this and you can't. What he says was, you can all have it, but you need to push in for me. Are there different gifts? Absolutely. Are there different callings? Absolutely. And next week, uh, when Naomi talks, she will say, look, this is what the word says. These gifts are given to the church. Not these gifts are given to men, and these gifts are given to women, and these gifts are given to slaves, and these gifts are given to people from another country. There is no favoritism. It's as the Spirit moves. And the Spirit revealed himself to Martha with those words. And I just want to go to one more story. And I'm going to wrap it up. But I want you to go and look through the Gospels with a different lens if you can. So far, Jesus has challenged the notion that, that women can't learn. They can't be taught. It was against the culture of the day. Jesus had women following him. They were part of his discipleship crew. 
and we might go, well, why didn't he have 12 disciples and six and six? Because we've got to have our quotas, right? 50% women, 50% men, that's the way the world works. He came into a culture where women were not recognized. Why did Jesus come as a man? If he came as a woman, he wouldn't have been recognized. Now, I'm not saying he's a female. What I'm saying is that you have to work within culture with what you've got to bring change to bring the kingdom in because there was a break in Genesis. But now, through the cross, God has made peace with us and he wants us to make peace with each other. He wants the gender war to finish. He wants the racial wars to finish. He wants the, the, the privilege and position wars to finish because he made us all in his image. And he loves us all exactly the same. As I said, there's those verses that we want to look at a little bit later on and, and it's going to be fun. But right now there's probably some of you just itching because this is the battleground you've, you want to fight on. You want to fight on this, but a woman can't be an elder. Well, I can show you that they can be. That there was a woman apostle that, that the translators took out of the Bible to kill her off. Because you couldn't possibly have a woman apostle. And there's so many inconsistencies with the argument. It's like, no, they can't be elders, but they can be deacons. Yet if you look at how the deacons are chosen, it says, go and find seven men filled with the Holy Spirit. It even talks about deacons being the husband of one wife as well. Yet, even in those people that don't believe as women elders, they'll go, yes, no, women can be deacons. And we've got to wonder, is it writing to a cultural situation or is it not? Am I just taking something and making it apply today that maybe it really doesn't? The truth of it applies. What is the truth? What is behind it? But maybe I am looking through a wrong lens. And so the challenge for, for those who might be going right now, maybe even angry inside, angry and, and like, no, that just can't be. If, if women take control of the church or if they're in leadership, it's going to destroy the church. It's apostate. And every Christian who has ever been saved under the ministry of a woman must be illegitimate children. It can't have been God. I mean, I've even, I've even heard someone who doesn't believe in women in eldership and he was asked the question, well, can women ever be elders? And he goes, Oh, actually, I know a case where they were, and it was someone who didn't believe it, but it was in a place where all the men were on drugs, inner city, church. So, but there were some good godly women, so that's all right. We can make them elders for that appointed time, but as soon as there's some men with some mouth, then we replace them because they're not meant to be there. Either he does or he doesn't want women in eldership. No rules, no boundaries. No, nothing. I mean, there's so many things that, that when you read about it, like in Acts, you can read about the early church and it says, and they all sold everything they had and they brought it and laid it at the feet of the apostles. Is that contextual? Is that cultural? Is that now? Perhaps everyone who wants to take everything, no, it's in the word, it's literal, that's it. Maybe you should go and sell everything you have and lay it down here. But you can take that verse and you can go, well, that's what happened. We should all do that. But then Paul's talking about later on about how there's always going to be rich and poor amongst us and those who are rich should be generous. 
So he wasn't saying, no, sell everything you've got, everyone, and just do that. He, the point of it was they, they were moved so much in their heart by the Spirit that they came and they gave to those without and shared it. That was the point of that. Not that everyone now should get up today, this very day, and all of us get up, let's go and sell everything we've got, bring it and lay it at the feet of the apostles. Which apostles? Maybe you could say the pastor, and I'll distribute it amongst us all. Be careful. Just be careful being so adamant that you miss the Spirit of God. What was I up to? I don't even know. Next verse. <laughs> oh, this is beautiful. So imagine this time. Let's go back to culture. Women were not allowed to worship with the rest of the assembly. They were, they were restricted. And, and as I said last week, Herod's temple and even the synagogues weren't designed how God wanted it. The original tabernacle in the wilderness wasn't like that. The original temple that Solomon built wasn't like that. But this was. It excluded women and Gentiles from being into that worship area. Yes, there was the Holy of Holies only the high priest could go into, but Jesus is our high priest now. And it says we all enter in through him. So there's no difference between man and woman. We all enter into that throne room of grace. All of us have Jesus there pleading for us and praying for us. All of us have Jesus who's forgiven us of our sin. All of us have Jesus who is pleading to the Father for us. So I want you to understand this. This is in a synagogue. They're meeting. Jesus is there. Maybe I'll read a little bit more of that. Let me have a look. Set the context a bit more. Luke 10. Chapter 8, sorry. I think I want to read that one. Maybe I've got the wrong one. Luke 13. Let's go to that one. I'll leave that one. Yep, that's right. Verse 16 to 17. Now I have to go back, aren't I? Okay. So I'm going to start at verse... So Jesus is teaching in a synagogue. One Sabbath day as Jesus was teaching in a synagogue, he saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. She had been bent double for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. Then he touched her and instantly she could stand straight. How she praised God. But the leader in charge of the synagogue was indignant that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. There were six days of the week for working, he said to the crowd. Come on those days to be healed, not on the Sabbath. But the Lord replied, you hypocrites. Each of you works on the Sabbath day. You don't, untie your ox or, don't you untie your ox or donkey from its stall on the Sabbath and lead it out for water? 
This dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Isn't it right that she, be, she should be released even on the Sabbath? He shames his enemies, but all the people rejoice at the wonderful things he did. Now, again, that doesn't sound too bad except for the healing on the Sabbath thing. But remember this, Jesus is at the front teaching. Women are kept out to the back. There's a back entrance for them to come in. And Jesus points at a woman in a crowd and says, come forward. Now, besides the Sabbath thing, that's an affront to what was happening there. That a woman could be brought in and also a crippled woman. That's probably even worse. And he said this about her, this dear woman, a daughter of Abraham. That's significant, guys. Again, we don't understand. Son of Abraham, that was all right. But to actually say this woman, this dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been held in bondage by Satan all this time. Let her be free. And I can't help but think that there's a whole lot of women who've been crippled in ministry, who've been crippled in the things of God because they've been bound by the things of Satan and they're not free. Because they're not valued as a daughter of Abraham. They're seen as the wife of. And not being allowed to take their rightful place as the people that God made them to be. Now we're going to have some fun discussions, I'm sure, as time goes by. But I believe with all my heart that Jesus wants women to be free, to be who they are, who God made them to be, not to be some sort of secondary appendage in the things of the kingdom. They're meant to be out there fighting the battles. They're meant to be the daughter of Abraham that they were created to be, daughters of faith, because Abraham is given as the father of faith, and that is what we are. Whether we're sons, whether we're daughters, it's in faith. Have a little think about these things. I understand it's confronting for some people. But it takes careful consideration, not just a real quick answer. And as I've said before, this isn't a conclusion that I've just jumped to. I've really not come from this background because I've just been like everyone else here. I've grown up in culture. But the more I study it, the more and more I'm convinced <laughs> that there's no difference. And the problem is, I believe, that there's so much of a threat on manhood if I give over to women. And as I said, the problem with the fall was two things. The first thing was that Adam would have a domination over, over Eve. Your husband will rule over you, but you will want it. So Eve had the desire to have that both are wrong it's wrong to dominate and it's wrong to want that same spirit for yourself 
to be the boss. Because we are called to be servants and submit to one another as under Christ. Let's pray, eh? Father, thank you so much for your love. Lord, I thank you for your peace. Lord, I thank you for the daughters of Abraham that sit here today, whether they're mothers or whether they're not. Lord, I believe that there are some here today that even now have felt crippled in ministry because they feel like they cannot be who God called them to be. For those ones, God, I'm just praying this morning that your love would just flow over them. Lord, that you would release them, that you would take off that bondage of lessness, I guess, in the things of the Spirit. And Lord, I just pray that we will be kind to one another, tender-hearted, gentle, and forgiving one another. Lord God, as we, we go through these things so that we can all come into the knowledge of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.